Our kids have said to us since we've moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community, of values that, you know, Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See what makes Minnesota the star of the North. New residents share why they love calling it home at exploreminnesota.com slash live. Elbowing. Nothing personal. Word of the day. It is Monday, May 8th, 2023. And the word of the day is elbowing. If you did not stay up to watch the Nuggets Suns game, you may have missed something that to me is inevitable. Fans are sitting on top of players. Seats are being sold practically on the bench. You can sit next to LeBron James if you can. They are packing them in as close as possible. And it is something that leagues focus on. Meetings upon meetings about fan safety, about player safety, about making sure that you're controlling interactions between fans and players, about placement of security guards to make sure that happens. Denver Nuggets are playing in Phoenix, a critical game for the ball's out of bounds. There's a turnover, whatever the case is, the Nuggets are getting the ball back. Jokic is trying to get the ball, can't get it away from a fan wearing green, tries to grab it, the ball gets away, then he gets the ball back, then he does an elbow, forearm shiver, and mayhem breaks out, and holy cow, it's Matt Ishbia. So let's break this down. Matt Ishbia is the owner of the Phoenix Suns, the new owner of the Phoenix Suns. He is sitting courtside in a very, what I would call decent seat, not a great seat. It's courtside, but all the way in the corner. Not really the Mark Cuban seat who sits on the bench. Not the Mickey Arison seat who sits across from the benches right at the press table. It used to be that owners sat in suites or sometimes they sit in box seats next to the dugout where they're totally protected. You have a security guard so no one can come near them. In basketball, it's very difficult for owners if they want to be courtside for them to have enough security around them that they can't be touched by fans. And that's an issue that comes up at owners meetings where you are concerned that there could be some encounter and there's always a plan in place. There's meetings that go on pregame every game to remind the security guards who are working around the owner. Here's where the owner is. Here's where the visiting owners are. Everything is shown to the head of security and then the individual security people in that area. They're pointed out before the game. Yes, we've got the Suns owner in green. He's sitting next to Isaiah Thomas. Side note, Isaiah Thomas running the Suns as like an advisor. That's who Ishbia chose? The guy who single-handedly took down the Knicks? That's my guy. All right, whatever, it's his guy, great. So, the security people are all aware of what's going on, who's who, what's what, and where's where. Jokic commonly does this, as do other players, but I notice Jokic more than others. He likes on a turnover, a change of possession, he likes to catch the defense on its heel. So he wants to get the ball back and play as quickly as possible. 
Like when you're playing two on two or three on three, there's checking the ball. You check it to your opponent and get the ball back. In basketball, there's also checking the ball, except it's checking to the referee. So you've got to get the ball to the ref who gets it back to the player as quickly as possible. Then you get the ball in play and try to get it down the court and try to catch the defense sleeping. So there was this fan in green who would not give up the ball to Jokic. Jokic is grabbing the ball. Now, Jokic is no small man. And the man who had the ball, the fan, was no small man. Former player, may have played it. What did he play, Coca? Michigan State. The owner of the Suns is not diminutive or cocksure. That was for you, Sarah T. So Jokic is trying to get the ball, can't get the ball, struggles to get the ball. The ball then flies three rows back to a man in white. We Zabruder this film, Coca and I did before the show. Then the man in white is throwing the ball back to Jokic, but then the man in green, Matt Ishbia, puts his right hand above the left buttocks of Jokic. Jokic then puts his elbow up to gain separation, and his elbow happens to be at the level of Ishbia's neck. He extends his elbow more than I would have liked, and Ishbia falls back as though he'd been hit by a truck falls into his seat. Meanwhile, Ed Malloy, Tony Brothers, everyone, those are the referees, converge on the scene, break up all the issues, and Jokic gets a technical foul. And here's where it started to get interesting. Because we were gonna hear from all of the parties. First, Jokic said, I was ejected because the referee told me I elbowed a fan but the fan put his hand on me first and I thought the league is supposed to protect us. Couple problems with what Jokic said, and I'm gonna get to Ishbia, don't you worry. Number one, no matter what a fan does to you, the fan is not allowed to put his hand on the player, but the players are told very clearly, you may not touch the fans. Don't forget that everything goes back to Detroit Everything goes back to David Stern trying to make sure that it's not a league of thugs, that it's a league where corporate sponsorship dollars can keep flowing in and the asset values can keep going up. Very clear rule, players know it, don't touch fans. Jokic gets yelled at, players get yelled at. Jokic gets baited, players get baited. Fans are allowed to do all of those things and players have to just take it. You wanna yell back, you wanna give the finger, give the finger. I've been yelled at. I've been given the finger by players when I was a heckling fan. Threatened they're gonna come in the stands and beat me up. Yeah, I had that too. They never did. Players, and we'll tell our players, you wanna get into it with the fan? We'd prefer you not to, but feel free to yell, don't swear. Nothing physical, but if you can't stand the heckling, you wanna deal with it, fine. But the best way to deal with it is shut them up by winning. That is something that we always have told the players. The best way to get a crowd quiet is to win on the road. That will shut them up in a hurry. So Jokic, not happy that he feels a hand above his waist. So when he does the shiver, he looks over and the question of the day, did Jokic know that he had just put a hand on not a fan, but the owner of the team? Jokic made it sound to me as though he knew that was the owner, but the owner was a fan. Now it's true owners are fans, 
but owners are owners. And owners are owners long before owners are fans. Let me say that in a way better way, 4687. Owners are owners once they own, and once they own, that is how they're categorized, not as fans. Are there players in the league who don't know what owners look like? Yes. Are there visiting players who could not pick the home owner out of a lineup? Yes. Is it possible that Jokic didn't know who Ishbia was? Yes. But Jokic said he knew it was the owner, but yet the owner was sitting there watching the game. True doesn't make him a fan. But now we get to what to me is the most dispositive part about this conversation. Owners are not allowed to touch players, period. You may not engage with with visiting players. You should not be yelling or heckling visiting players. You should be sitting down or turning around and facing your crowd and getting them to stop touching Jokic. But your job when there is some sort of issue going on with players and fans is to make sure your security guards stop it. Ishpia's security guards, there was a man in white hair, there was a woman in glasses, there's the man in the white hair that you're seeing on Nothing Personal with David Sampson live on YouTube. That guy didn't do squat. The other security tried to get in the way of the man in blue, if you're not watching this, just trust me, there's a guy getting in Jokic's face, there's several fans who are baiting Jokic, but Ishpia, the owner, cannot get involved physically. The NBA has a small problem here. They went to the referee after the referee went public and said that Jokic, in trying to get the ball away, was issued an unsportsmanlike technical foul for shoving and pushing a fan down, who happened to be the owner. That was an unsportsmanlike technical foul. He thought that was enough, the referee did. He thought that was appropriate, the referee did because he did not view Jokic as purposefully going after a fan for heckling or some sort of unsolicited reason. Therefore, the technical foul and the one point was appropriate. Of course, Ishpi is getting credit. He got his team a point because it was a technical foul. But the league has a problem because they've got to do one of two things with Ishpia. They either have to fine him or they have to not allow him to sit courtside. They're not going to make him sit up in the stands. They're not going to make him sit in a suite. Adam Silver does not have the power and these owners want to be part of the action. They want to be right up close and personal. But the reason Adam Silver has to find Ishbia is he's got to make it clear that it's not up to the players to know who's who in the crowd. It's not up to the players in the heat of competition and the heat of the moment to be able to quickly put together, that's the owner, that's the owner's assistant, that's the general manager. It is up to the fans and the security to make sure the players are not engaged. So if you're not gonna blame Jokic, for not knowing or not being able to discern, then you've got to blame Ishbia because Ishbia certainly knew, A, he was the owner and also knew that he was touching him. Now, he's going to get interviewed by Adam Silver and say, I was protecting myself. I didn't want Jokic to fall into me. I didn't want him to flail his elbows and hit me. Then take a step back. 
get out of the way. He interjected himself, the owner did, as though he wanted to be involved in the play. And it started with him holding the ball, trying to hold up pace of game, trying to hold up getting the ball back in bounds. When you look at all of what Matt Ishbia did, that is fine worthy. Maybe even suspension worthy, but they're not going to do it. When you look at what Jokic did, that is technical foul and fine worthy, but not suspension worthy. So where do I come out? The NBA is going to send a memo to its owners as a reminder of what role they have when they're at the game and when they're sitting courtside. They're gonna meet with the referees again before each game to remind them and remind them where owners are sitting, which they do, to remind them what their role is when there are any sort of fans involved. And then there's gonna be a conversation with the players saying under no circumstances should you be grabbing a ball out of a fan's hand. And players have been doing this more and more. It is up to the referee to get the ball. If the fan does not throw a ball back onto the court immediately, eject the fan, it's the owner in this case, eject the fan for interfering or give the team a technical if um, if, uh, the home team a technical. The problem with that is you don't know if the fan is rooting for the home team, rooting for the road team. So you give a technical foul or give a free throw to the team who's actually supposed to be getting the ball. Let them shoot the free throw, give the technical as a team technical to the other side, because that would make sure that the fans would not get involved because they'd be giving up a point to the team that they were trying to protect. There will be ramifications from what happened because it was ugly, was a bad look, and it involved an owner. But the wait to see officially, everybody who's calling for Jokic to be suspended for game five, NGTH, not going to happen. Jokic will play game five. He will not be suspended. Wait to see. A couple baseball things to come to, that, that I want to cover here before the break. Let's start with, uh, let's start with Contreras, Coca. You know what I want? (laughs) I want to talk to Samson. So you want to talk to Samson. Get in my Twitter, David P. Samson. Explain the Cardinals' decision to move Contreras from catcher to DH slash outfielder. How does this happen? Thank you. I chose this because I needed to talk about this topic, but would it have killed you just for a, hey, David, what's shaking? Hello, David. How was your weekend? Wilson Contreras signed for $87 million. Let me give you the background. The St. Louis Cardinals were favored to win the NL Central. The St. Louis Cardinals have had one starting catcher for as long as I can remember, and his name is Hall of Famer Yadi Molina. Yadi Molina retires. He goes on to manage the World Baseball Classic team. I can't remember which team right now. It's totally escaping me. Molina retires and the Cardinals immediately sign the best hitting catcher on the free agent market and give him five years. The thing about Wilson Contreras is that he's a fine catcher, average. He's a 40. On the scale of 40 to 80, he's an average catcher, 20 to 80, average. But boy, he can hit. So the Cardinals have started off, and we've talked about it on this show, they've been terrible. They can't pitch. They're having trouble winning games. They're way behind the falling Pittsburgh Pirates and the likely competition Milwaukee Brewers. They are one of the worst teams in the National League, and one of the reasons is the pitching. So out of nowhere, it came out yesterday, such a bizarre announcement 
that Ali Marmol, the manager for the Cardinals, came out and said that we are now moving Contreras out of catcher. We're calling up another catcher, and he is going to be our DH and outfielder. And I said to myself, what in the name of Sherman Potter is going on here? And then I read the quote, and everything became clear. Marmol said there are certain things in ways we operate that Wilson is still taking to and learning. And it's a difficult thing coming from a different organization and learning all of it. So we have an internal strategy to help with all that, and we'll start moving in that direction over the next several weeks. What in the hell? We always were told we shared spring training with the Cardinals. Very, very cocky organization, especially when Tony La Russa is there. They have something called the Cardinals way. They were our partners and they were very unpartner-like when we were running Roger Dean Stadium in Jupiter, when we were building the facility. The whole thing was really quite something. The Cardinals were only so happy to have us do all the work and have us run everything. They owned 50% of it and they didn't do a thing could barely get anyone on the phone to even get permission in a joint venture partnership. So we ended up just doing whatever we wanted whenever we wanted to. Cardinals just didn't care. The Cardinals way is something that we would talk about at internal baseball meetings because the Cardinals had all this success. What's the Cardinals way? And one time someone pointed out to me, you know, we have a way it's the Expo, it's the Expos way. It's the Marlins way. We do things our own way. We just don't have the ego to call it our way. And I said, why don't we write a book? Why don't we do a pamphlet or some sort of, uh, uh, okay, Coca, why don't we do some sort of book where we give it to the players and we give it to the staff and we call it the Marlins way. And so we called it something else. And then all teams started calling it their own way, but it started in my mind with the Cardinals way. Here's the problem. The Cardinals way has existed forever and a day and the players adjust to it. They know it. It's about rules. It's about process. It's about development. It's about scouting. It's the way they do business and it works. When you're signing a free agent, that free agent is aware of what the Cardinals way is. They're aware that they're going to become a St. Louis Cardinal. And they're also aware what position they play. The Cardinals brought Contreras in to catch. Do you think for one minute they didn't realize he's a below average catcher, but an above average hitter? And now that they're 10 and 24 and they're not playing well, now they decided to make the change? It is such a bad look for the Cardinals to make it seem as though the starting pitching is to blame and the catcher is to blame for the lack of starting pitching, as though the starting catcher is having trouble with his fingers. Well, here's a little nugget for you Cardinal fans. Part of the cardinal way is that it's the pitchers who are responsible for what they throw, not the catchers. And that's part of the Marlins way and the Yankees way and the Rays way. I could go on, I don't wanna waste time, but it's 30 teams way. We don't blame the catchers for the fingers. We blame the pitchers for not having conviction for what they throw and then not telling the catcher what they wanna throw in a certain situation. We encourage the shake off you know we are giving you the tools so you know the approach to get a hitter out. We know that we wanna go with a 2-1 slider against Aaron Judge. We know that in this situation, we are gonna hold down the slider fingers. If you're not feeling the slider and you wanna throw a four-seamer, throw the four-seamer. 
If you give up a hit, give up a hit with your best stuff. That's the Marlins way, Cardinals way, Yankees way. Don't lose with your crap, lose with your best. But now we're gonna blame the catcher? And then the Cardinals did something that is so uncharacteristic is that they lost control of the narrative. They didn't even have the plan fully baked, which caused the president of baseball operations, John Mazoliak, to have to issue a clarification in an exclusive interview with The Athletic. And the clarification was, hey, we're not playing him in the outfield. I know it came out yesterday, he said, but after talking with him, we decided it's gonna be more DH. Hmm. Does that mean that they announced that they were not gonna catch him before talking to him? Or they did talk to him and they said, hey, we're gonna find a way to keep your bat in the lineup, we're not sure what. And then the manager said it could be outfield, then the catcher said, Contreras, I don't really wanna play outfield, I'll just DH. And then you've got too many outfielders with the Cardinals, which is why they're not gonna put him in the outfield. You have him DHing, which takes at bats away from those who need to DH to get a rest and you've got $87 million due to the player. All in all, there's not one positive thing from what the Cardinals did to Contreras. It doesn't give him confidence. It doesn't give your players confidence, your coaching staff confidence, your fans confidence, and it really makes the owner angry that you signed this guy and after a month, you've decided he doesn't know enough of the Cardinals way? Something pretty fishy here. And here's what it is. The Cardinals way, I guess, is to find blame for their poor performance. And you know that blame flows downhill. I told you, I'm not blaming me. I'm not gonna blame the GM. I can't blame Marmol because we love him as a manager. We don't have to fire him. So we're gonna blame the players and the people who told us to sign Contreras. Let's start with that and move our way up if we don't recover. Cardinal fans, don't worry. You're not really chasing the Pirates, you're chasing the Brewers. Your lineup is still one of the best in baseball. You're starting pitching, problematic. The biggest issue you have is not Contreras catching, it's not Contreras DHing. It is the fact that your starter's ERA is so bad that the only starting pitcher you have under five is the guy you got for Harrison Bader, who thank God is the only one hitting for the Yankees. All right, let's take a break. We're gonna review a movie that was talked about on the Lebitard show last week that I hadn't seen that I wanted to watch. And then we're gonna talk about Carlos Rodon when something happened this weekend with Carlos Rodon of the Yankees that made me quiver in my socks. We'll be right back. The NBA playoffs are heating up and so is the action at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. With same game parlays, live betting, odds boosts, and so much more, don't miss out as the NBA postseason winds down. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app 
and use code SAMSON. New customers can bet five bucks to get $150 instantly in bonus bets only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code SAMSON. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. That's 467-369. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino Resort in Kansas. 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction. Quentin, Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.co slash bball for eligibility and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Welcome back to Nothing Personal. Hope you all had a good weekend. So much sports. Is this a great time to be in South Florida or what? Stayed up and watched the Panthers win that overtime game to take a 3-0 lead over Toronto. You had the Nuggets. Every day there's a 10 o'clock game. Hell yeah. All right. John Mulaney. I never saw one stand-up comedy thing he did. I knew him only as Olivia Munn's boyfriend who divorced his wife and was with Olivia Munn. And I did not realize that he had a drug problem. I did not realize that he required intervention. I didn't know any of it until I heard about it on the Levitard show when we were discussing this documentary. This, it's not a documentary, it's a, uh, uh, Coco, what's the thing when comedy, a comedy set, a comedy show? I can't think of what we call it, a comedy routine, a stand-up something, stand-up show. So let me review it because I watched it. It's called Baby J. I may have shown my teeth twice, which is a bad sign during a stand-up show. I don't find it all that funny to spend an hour joking about interventions and rehab and the fact that cocaine is the greatest drug in the world and how he's so angry he had to go to rehab and so angry that he had an intervention and that if he knew it had been his own intervention, he wouldn't have shown up. As it is, he said, I, show, I showed up two hours late to my own intervention, which of course is ridiculous because by definition, you don't know what your intervention is until you're there. You just assume you're going to a friend's house for dinner. And all I did was flex the fact that he has famous friends, the biggest flex and look at me, Louie. Hey, I had Fred Armiston, who wasn't even funny. And Seth Meyers, I had such a famous group of people trying to save my life. And now I'm pissed at them because yeah, my life is saved, but now I have to pick up the check whenever we go out to eat. I just found it to be unfortunate. I get that there is comedy that lives in the mistakes that people make, believe me. I get that. I get a lot of the humor that I have and a lot of the humor that I try to use on other people and show other people based on things that I've done that aren't good. And then you take a bit of the truth and you make it exaggerated and from there you get humor. But everyone was canceling him because of his affair, not because of the fact that he's a drug addict. 
I just found the whole thing to be unfortunate. John Mulaney is called Baby J. Here's my advice to you. Don't do cocaine. Here's my second bit of advice to you. Don't watch the stand-up routine. All right, Coca, can we uh, take, we did the break already, but I'm gonna look at something and we forgot to do this before the show. So I'm gonna look at it now, live on the air. I'm gonna read you with my 1.5ers, the definition of chronic. Here we go, ready? Persisting for a long time or constantly recurring, as in chronic bronchitis or chronic back pain. Carlos Rodon, the guy who was signed to that ridiculous six-year, $162 million deal before the season started. The guy who hasn't thrown a pitch for the New York Yankees. Look at Scott Boris helping him sign that deal and Brian Cashman smiling. Why are you smiling? You're signing a guy who's always been hurt, always. Elbow, shoulder, knees, and toes but no back pain, none at all. Now we are to believe that he was told that he has a chronic back issue. Did his chronic back issue just start a month ago? And if so, can something be chronic when it's only a month old? Or does it become chronic when it's been like a year or two and you're like, man, my back still hurts. This is beginning to smell a bit like chronic. I stubbed my toe, my God, it's chronic. Your clumsiness can be chronic. Your idiocy can be chronic. Your inability to resist injured players can be chronic. Back issues that you've had since childhood or since you started baseball, those can be chronic. Christian Yelich has chronic back issues. Those are issues that have existed throughout his career that he manages, and the way he manages them is through a lot of hard work, and some days he can go, and most, get, most days he goes, some days he can't. Chronic hip condition. You can have degenerative conditions, but they happen over time. But the story now is that Carlos Rodon has a chronic back issue, and he's not even sure if he'll be back by July. And the only thing that the PR people gave him to say, I can't, I wanna blame the Yankees PR, but I'm not going to. There's no way the Yankees PR gave him this quote because you can, it's malpractice. I can't put a timeline on anything. I'll get this injection, but I wanna throw as soon as I can. Boy, that's terrific. Thank you, Carlos. We appreciate the fact that you wanna throw, but yes, you can put a timeline on it, we can put a timeline on just about any injury. Sometimes we're gonna have an upside Bryce Harper-like surprise. Sometimes we're gonna have a downside surprise like players who are out way longer than we expect them to be out. Teams know the difference. They know players. But Rodon is new to the Yankees. The Yankees don't know him. They have no idea. Yes, they do. Even when he's new to your team, if a player has a track record, you know that player. 
There's not one player we brought in who we weren't aware of what they were like. We hadn't lived with them in the clubhouse necessarily. We weren't sure whether they'd be good in the clubhouse, though we had heard they would be. We weren't sure whether they'd be bad, though we heard they were bad, but we can make them good. We're going to surround them with veterans. We're going to make sure that he's got a locker next to a positive influence. We're going to have the manager make sure he's on top of them. We can handle all that stuff. But injury history where you then hope and pray that that's not going to continue and then you go with chronic? For all Yankee fans who are expecting them to collect insurance, let me be clear, you have to miss a full year and that's if you're not self-insured. Self-insured means you don't have insurance on the player at all. You just secrete money away, which you really don't do. And then when the player gets hurt, you just pay the player and that's the end of it. That's called self-insuring. Actual insurance is when you get a physical for the player and the insurance company says, great, we're gonna charge you $700,000 a year. We'll insure him, but he's gotta miss with an injury, not one of the four injuries he's already had, but a new injury and he's gotta miss a full year. And then we'll start paying. So it's not like the Yankees all of a sudden have this money to spend. The question is, if it is a chronic back condition, which I'm not buying at all, if it is, and you're the Yankees, you sure as hell don't want that announced. How bad does Brian Cashman look? How bad does Hal Steinbrenner look when you have signed a player to a six-year deal who's always been hurt, except the injuries had nothing to do with his chronic back problem? Eureka! Yes, they do. Do you know that if you have a chronic back problem, it's possible that you change your mechanics and your deliveries, so you end up hurting your shoulder and you end up hurting your elbow? Do you know when you give a physical to a player who's been injured and you're signing him to a free agent, you tell the doctors, by the way, here's the five injuries he's had, elbow, shoulder, etc. We're gonna need to take a look at the vertebra. Let's just see what's going on, see if he's been complaining at all about his back. Let's talk to him about his back. Let's test the back just to make sure. Because what if it's the back or the heel or the knee or the ham or the quad or the core or the abdomen or the kidney or the ribs? There are myriad body parts that can cause a mechanical change which will cause an injury. Therefore, when we're giving a physical to a player who's oft injured, we are not just focusing with MRIs on the part of the body that was injured, we're focusing everywhere, like from the eyeballs to the tippy toes. Who missed it and what do we do about it? At some point, you're gonna have to hold Cashman accountable for the performance on the field, for the number of players who were injured, for the amount of money on the IL that the Yankees have in payroll. At some point, he's gotta be responsible. It's never gonna be Hal. It's never gonna be Randy. It's gonna be Brian. Of course, they could fire their training staff. That's what you do first. Start low, then work your way up. Oh yeah, they did fire their training staff. All right, good luck, Yankees. Nothing personal pick of the day. The Sixers plus two over the Celtics on Friday, nailed it. Not. Heat minus three over the Knicks on Saturday. Nailed it. One and one, we're 69 and 68. What a weekend of basketball. Jimmy Butler is something else, isn't he? What about James Harden? 
I like what you're going to read today with the Sixers because they beat the Celtics in overtime on a Harden three-pointer. A shout-out to James Harden for what he did for the victim of the Michigan State shooting. Brought him on the court, has been in touch with him when the cameras are not rolling. Gave him his autographed shoes. Gave him tickets. Love when players do that. I like that a lot. Don't treat him like a mascot now, but doing nice things for people who really need it and deserve it, I'm all in. But what you're reading a lot about today makes me laugh. What you're reading about is that Harden goes for 40 and 45, Sixers win. When Harden goes three for 28 and scores 10 or 15, Sixers lose. I guess it's important for him to play well. Really? Yeah, that's true. That's like saying the Knicks lost because they shot seven for 69 from the three-point line. And if they do that again, they have no chance in the series. Really? Wow, that's some real good value added. All right, our picks for today. We got Heat game. It's a big game. The Heat are going for a 3-1 lead over the Knickerbockers. And that would be them holding court with their two home games and then going back to New York for a game five. The Knicks are trying to even this series. They're getting four and a half. They were only getting three on Saturday. Now they're getting four and a half. They're getting a point and a half more, and they can't possibly shoot worse. They simply cannot shoot worse. I'm going to take the points. He could win this game the way the Sixers did on a shot where they win by one or two, but I'm taking the Knicks plus four and a half. Now let me circle back to the Cardinals. I want to give you a baseball game. I guess I could have done this with the Cardinals uh, when we did the Cardinals topic, Miles Mikolas overpaid. Marcus Stroman has been pitching very well. Minus 145, Cubs over the Cardinals. The Cardinals recovery will not start today. Don't, don't believe that the Cubs are tired after their 14-inning loss to the Marlins yesterday and that now they're playing again. Forget it. Stroman, minus 145 over the Cubs. All right. The other thing I watched on Saturday... And I watch three horse races a year. I watch each of the Triple Crown races. And one thing that I always used to joke about because that was a cool thing to joke about. And looking back, it's not cool and not funny. We would talk about glue. And I think Arnold Schwarzenegger may have had a quote about glue in one of his movies. Maybe it was a racer or something. Horses turn to glue. I actually never have confirmed that, Coca, of you. Do horses actually become glue or is that one of those weird Bubba Meisters like don't get tattoos if you're Jewish? They may, they may not. So I watched the Kentucky Derby. I knew that Vinny Viola, the owner of the Panthers, had a horse who was the favorite named Forte running in the Derby. And then I see that he got scratched. I always found it to be scary the way horses run because they have so much weight. They're such big animals, they're going so fast and they're on these little feet. And then all of a sudden, if they get one thing wrong and they fall, it's not like you can make them better. You have to do the human thing and kill them. You euthanize them in the name of humanity. I am not going to get into my view of euthanizing horses. I do believe that people should not suffer. I do believe that people who have the mental ability to decide whether or not they want to suffer should have the ability to decide whether or not they're going to suffer. I have not yet found anyone other than Scarlett Johansson and Robert Redford who have figured out how to tell if a horse wants to suffer more or not. 
But all of you people out there who are horse whispers or all of you people who have lifted hooves and figured out ways to recover using horses, equine therapy, which is cool, or all the other ways that we ride horses, which I've done, let me know if I'm wrong. But when we euthanize a horse, what we're saying is that there is no recovery. They cannot live a meaningful life. Forget racing. They can't breed because all of these horse races where the real money is, is in getting them to have sex once they're done racing and then charging people for the babies. But this week at Churchill Downs, for the first time, there is traction on a story about the death of these horses. Seven horses died in the lead up up to the Kentucky Derby. If you don't know much about the Derby, it's a full day of races at Churchill Downs. The Kentucky Derby is actually just one of the races that is run on that particular day. Something I didn't know until I went to the Melbourne Cup with the Cultural Exchange Club in Australia in Melbourne, in Melbourne, 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 Melbourne. There's a better way to say it. And you go for a full day and then everyone gets excited. You get dressed up, you wear hats that make you look like Kate Middleton. You drink a bunch of mint juleps. You go to a place where the demographics are quite homogenous. You place your bets and you hope for the best. In the races leading up to the Derby, two horses died. And prior to that, in the week leading up to it, five others had. So let's talk about this. Why is this happening? So I've been thinking, trying to come up with a reason, trying to explain that I like watching things where I know the result is the participants have a chance to die. And then I realized that I watch football every Sunday. And then I realized that I like watching cliff diving. And then I realized that I was about to watch the Formula One Grand Prix. And then I realized that almost every sport or every activity has a level of risk. I was the guy watching Evil Knievel when Jim McKay introduced him. It's the wide world of sports. But guess what the difference is? The horses don't have the opportunity to actually say, I like doing this. I choose to do this and I am not Mr. Animal Lover, but I am about the freedom of choice. I am not pro or anti-abortion. I am pro-choice. I am pro let a woman, let a man, let a horse, let people control what they can control. Why do we not like cockfighting? Why was that guy, what's the name, Coca, of the uh, football player? He used to live in Western Florida, who, Michael Vick. Michael Vick, did he do cockfighting or dogfighting? He did dogfighting. Why are we against dogfighting? Because we don't like when dogs fight? Or we don't think it's humane? Or because the dogs are lovely pets and we don't really want them to do something that they didn't choose to do. I just find it bizarre. Using horses to get around like they did before cars, and some people still do, I get it. I'm okay with using donkeys to carry stuff, carry stuff up and down the Grand Canyon. I'm not sure they would choose to do it. I'm not against not giving them water. 
I am against not giving them water. So here's where I stand with horse racing. I'm still going to watch it. And that internal conflict I have that I worked through because I appreciate and like watching the greatest two minutes in sports or that I want to know if there's going to be a triple crown winner. The, the guilt that I feel about the double standard that I have came into focus over the weekend. And the result of the guilt in the double standard was not a change in behavior. That makes me weak. It makes me unreasonable. And it makes me wonder whether everyone is doing what I'm doing. Because if you think about it, there's three ways you can be. One, you can learn something about something and then change your behavior. Two, you can learn something about something and not change your behavior. Or two, you, three, you put your head in the sand and you don't learn anything. Those are the three options. I'm always in the first two. I want to learn and I want then to change my actions depending on what I learn. I'm willing to learn new things that I don't know. I think we all should. That's the purpose of reading. That's the purpose of having conversation. It's to learn new things and then test all the hypotheses in your brain. Test why you do things and then recognize why you do things. So I had a chance to really look at myself and it did not go to the threshold of not watching horse racing because these horses are dying. And then I went one step further in my brain because I read a clip that that guy, the gray haired trainer named Bob Baffert, you may not even remember him. We did a segment on him a while ago. He's the trainer who got suspended because he was shooting the horses with steroids. So this, the horses were going faster and that's against the rules. Not because it's bad for the horses, but because it's a performance enhancing drug. We got to keep the competitive integrity of the race. We've got to make sure that all the horses have the same level of whatever they have in order to make sure that betters don't have a certain advantage. Isn't that funny? We didn't care about the horse's health on the steroids, much like we didn't really focus on baseball used to pretend we're focused on the health of the kids, which is why we're banning steroids and why we're going to start educating kids about not using steroids, etc. Come on. When baseball knew that all of its players were using steroids, they didn't care about the kids using steroids. They wanted to make sure the players used steroids to make sure that home runs were hit so that fans would re-engage with the game post-strike. That's what happened. It's always easy after the fact to say how you care about things. But that's the second of those three things that happen in my head. The second one is you learn about something and then decide whether or not you care. And if you don't care, you keep doing what you were doing. You can bet your bippy that horse racing is going to continue. You can bet that trainers are going to go right to the edge to get their horses to win. You can bet that horses are going to continue to be euthanized in the name of, hey, not worth it anymore. This horse can't run. This horse is not going to be able to breed. And this horse is in too much pain. So let's just boom, be done with it. We've seen it in movies forever and in real life. But what is it really about at the end of the day? 
Say it with me. It's just business. Sorry, horsies. It's nothing personal. Our kids have said to us since we've moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community, of values that, you know, Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See what makes Minnesota the star of the North. New residents share why they love calling it home at exploreminnesota.com slash live. <laughs>